You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. All right, so hey, Josh, uh, I'm interested to know what is it, what's going on in the family life of the Meads? How is a readaption to uh, Senegal going these days? It's been going great. We've been back for a little over a month now. We did kind of an extended furlough uh, back to the States in Canada, uh, some medical issues with a close family member, and, and it was crazy. Of course, we just, you know, with this whole pandemic, and what one blessing about being back in Africa is, I mean, it's like there's no pandemic here. <laughs> Nobody's talking about COVID, all that, uh, but we, we went through wow, it. But that's great. We came back... Um, yeah, it was about August of last year. Uh, we flew back to the States and then my wife's family's from Canada. So she had to go up to Canada to visit her family member that was having some medical issues. And um, with the pandemic, she had to quarantine two weeks at a time. Uh, she had to be isolated. And then when she could finally mm. get out, she would have maybe a week and then she'd come back to the States. And then I wow. put the kids in school. And uh, I would stay back in the States and it was just, it was crazy, but we got through it. We did a year and we wow. are so glad to be back in Senegal. Now we've been getting back into the swing of things, uh, finding our routine and uh, getting back plugged into ministries. Again, our church here is uh, fully led by a national pastor. And so I'm a, uh, I'm a pastor here as well. Uh, but we Praise focus a little more focus a little more on some evangelism and church planting. We're, uh, we're going to expand this coming year. But yeah, we're getting back into the swing of things. Uh, Julie's teaching homeschooling the kids, and I'm getting reset up with some of the ministries, reconnecting with people. And so it's been great. And uh, how, now how long have you guys been in the Dominican Republic since your last furlough? Well, we were just home for six weeks in the summertime. Uh, we are, are on the other side of the spectrum with you guys because we don't have to travel so far. Our plane tickets aren't nearly as expensive. So we're able to take a lot more frequent but much shorter furloughs. Um, and so we, this last summer, were home for six weeks. Uh, got a chance to reconnect with a lot of churches, see family. I really had a great time. Because of the ministry situation we are now, We've had two different church planners that as I trained them, I thought they would be taking over the first church and the Lord put specific desires on them to start the churches in other parts of the church, uh, the city a little further out. So we've trained them up and uh, right now we're still uh, training the men in our church to take over the first church, but right now I'm still pastoring that. So we kind of have a network of churches where the pastors can help out in my absence, but uh, usually six weeks to at the most two and a half months is as far as we like to be away from the congregation uh, as they grow. Um, and uh, boy, we love going home and seeing family and friends and reconnecting with churches and that's enjoyable. But I think you understand this, there's nothing like getting back to your own home, uh, your own bed, uh, your own routines. And um, so we love visiting America, but we like coming home to the Dominican to be where the Lord has called us. And so we've been home for a couple months now and now we're gearing up for uh, fall revival in November, and of course Christmas season, where if you don't know about, I don't know how it is in Senegal, but in the Dominican, 
we're already starting to see Christmas lights. They, they celebrate Christmas basically from the end of October to the middle of January. So we're kind of getting ready for Christmas season. Yeah, in Senegal, it's a little different. We're a predominantly Muslim country. And so you'll see Christmas decorations true, put up. True. Uh, about the second week of December, they'll start putting Christmas decorations up. And uh, usually instead of reindeer, you're going to see uh, sheep and uh, lambs dressed up with, uh, with antlers and things. And so uh, the capital city, they'll decorate a little more for Christmas. Some of the stores will uh, have Christmas decorations. But uh, in the city we live in, we're about four hours north of uh, of the capital in a city called San Luis, which is interesting. Our city, we're a predominantly Muslim country, and we live in a city that's named after a Roman Catholic saint. So you just figure that that's just kind oh of the nature of the that's country, unique. nature of the country that we're living in. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of Christmas celebrated, not as much. Now, my wife is <laughs> big on Christmas. And so we're going to be kind of the Christmas central uh, for our city. We're going to host some missionaries for a Christmas party. Uh, we, our church has big Christmas gatherings. And so she has, she has probably, I would say, 15 Rubbermaid containers full of just Christmas decoration <laughs> and a bunch of artificial oh trees. My. And so we're going, we go all out when it comes to Christmas. And so... Oh. That is a great feeling. We're, we're, we don't have 15 rubber mates. We've got a handful, but we sure we understand that perspective and love it as well. And it's a fun, fun thing. The Dominicans do it up, so we enjoy that as well. So I think today, though, we wanted to kind of maybe reconnect in some ways and maybe tell our story. Um, maybe we'll start off real quickly and just say we met. I, I want to say it was December of 2005. I know it was about two weeks before I got married. My wife and I, we were getting pre-approved by BIMI. And some of the first people we met were Josh and Julie. So, Josh, why don't you uh, start us off as, as, you know, those are the days we met, how you got to that point. And we'll talk maybe later on in the future about our call. Uh, it's not our call, but specifically how we got to BIMI. But, like, how did Josh and Julie Mead get to that point there in December of 2005? Yeah, when I was young, I always wanted to travel and go to Africa as long back as I can remember. So that that seed was planted in my wow. mind probably when I was about five years old that I wanted to be an explorer, a jungle explorer, you know, somewhere <laughs> in Africa. Just some that wow. sense of adventure was put there at a young age. It wasn't until I was uh, 13 years old. I went on a mission trip to Mexico with my grandfather. And while hmm. we were there, uh, they were building a uh, church building off the go. Uh, the coast of the Gulf of Mexico on a little island out there. And I was just a 13 year old kid. I had no clue what I was doing. You know, right. couldn't really, it wasn't much of a help. <laughs> Definitely wasn't thinking about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. In fact, one of the standout experiences of that first mission trip to Mexico, the first mission trip I had ever taken, one of the standout experiences was I was so excited about trying tacos in Mexico. I thought this is going to be awesome. I love tacos. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? Our family, we <laughs> ate like, ta we had Taco Tuesday, Taco Thursday. We ate tacos all the time. And then we get our first taco in Mexico and it was just meat on a shell. I said, well, oh, where's the cheese and sour cream? And they said, this ain't America, buddy. So anyways, um, oh, my just, you know, I was not thinking about 
you know, what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Right. <laughs> and the final day came and we gathered around with the missionary. We sang a few hymns. And then as as the missionary was praying and we're about to load up in the van while he's praying. And it's really when when people ask and I'm sure you'll say the same thing when people ask, what is it like to to sense the call or how do you know you're called? And really, there's no way to describe what the calling is unless you've experienced it, unless you know how God speaks to you in such a way that it's not an audible voice. But for me, it was just in my heart. I knew as we're standing there, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm going to be a missionary and uh, got in the van and uh, the first verse it was actually a song that came on my uh on my walkman for those who don't remember back in the day we used to travel with cassette tapes <laughs> portable cassette players you know anyways so the first song that came on was a song entitled crucified with christ and that's from galatians 220 mm-hmm. and i knew in my heart mm-hmm. my life is not my own it's the lord's i'm gonna be a missionary and I put the two together immediately. Right. So I it was just this sense. I already knew I'm going to be a missionary. I already want to go to Africa. So I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. And I announced that to my family when I got home. And so from that point forward, it was just laser focused that this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a missionary in Africa and uh, went to Bible college later. And uh, God just opened the door and Getting to Senegal and that story, it's a little bit longer, so I'm not going to take up. We'll talk about that a little bit in a little bit, but we won't get into it yet. Um, but our pastor, part of how we ended up at BIMI, our pastor was on the board at Baptist International Missions Incorporated. He's one of the board members. And so uh, it was kind of like just assumed you're going to go with BIMI. And uh, we visited there when I was younger. I went to Camp Bimmy a couple times and uh, just loved the people there, loved the uh, love the atmosphere and their philosophy. And so uh, ended up going to candidate school in that December of 2005, just fresh out of Bible college. Now, when I met you, <laughs> you were there. Uh, was your fiance there for that week or was she not there at that week? Because I, I remember you guys were the talk of the week about your story, about how God, <laughs> how God was putting you two together and your patience and waiting for the Lord to put you together. But t- tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about kind of what, when did you sense that call and when did you know that it was not only going to be missions, but specifically the Dominican Republic? Uh, so yeah, in 2005, Holly and I were both there getting pre-approved. Uh, I think it was actually about a week and a half before we were going to get married. So it was kind of, they were proving us with the idea we are getting married a week and a half later. Um, I, I had the great privilege of growing up in a Christian home and then at a young age understanding my need to be saved. And I thank the Lord how important that was to grow up in a Christian home where I had godly parents who uh, directed us uh, to you know follow the Lord, follow His Word. But even though I grew up in a really wonderful church, we didn't really have a lot of experience interactions with missions and missionaries. Um, so it wasn't until I was an adult... I was living on my own in another state in Virginia, near near Washington, D.C., and I found my home church, which is my church now, Temple Baptist in Herndon, and our pastor, whose son at that time was a missionary in Uganda, Africa, uh, 
obviously our church had a great emphasis on missions. And one of the first things I noticed was when the men came back from a trip to Uganda, they gave testimonies. And a lot of those guys were just like me. They were working in the private sector. I worked as a network engineer for Sprint Communications. Um, and I remember just how impactful those testimonies of those men who had very similar jobs that I had and how the Lord used those, that, that trip uh, to influence their life. And so I said, man, the next time they have one of these trips, I, I got to go on these trips. And so the next trip we had was India. This was 2001. This was uh, June of 2001, so a few months before 9-11. And I grew up in West Virginia, not too rural, but West Virginia. And so I had never, ever gone overseas, ever. And so to go to India for the very first time was just amazing to my conscience. Everything was so new. I called it upside down world. Everything was different. Anything I thought was normal wasn't. And so for the first week of that missions trip, I'm just, my mind just can't, my sensory overload can't handle everything that's going on. But during that trip, um, I just started asking myself questions. And this was a construction trip. This wasn't even really an evangelistic trip. The, the spiritual oppression that was evident in India was amazing. And so there's nothing appealing like, hey, go come be a missionary because it's so great. But the Lord was working on my heart of just the vast need. I mean, just how big India was and millions and millions and in fact, billion people there. And though the Lord started planting those seeds on that trip, it wasn't for India. In fact, I was like, man, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I sure don't want to come back to this place. This is unbelievably difficult. Um, but the Lord really got me to ask questions that I had never asked, which was basically I went on the other side of the world to serve. And the first question he started asking me was, well, are you even serving in your own church? Are you serving the ones you love, your own brothers and sisters? And the answer was I really wasn't doing that much. So the first thing I came back was I volunteered at my church, started working in Iwanas. And what I didn't realize was the Lord said, you know, I can't use you on the other side of the world until you start working in your own local church. And in a very short amount of time after being involved in many ministries in my church, we had a fall revival. And uh, Morris Gleiser was the evangelist, a dear friend of our pastor, and he came. And, and I just remember him. It was a Halloween, uh, 2001, and he was preaching on just giving your life to the Lord. And I just very vividly remember that evening, the Lord just saying, hey, remember that trip to India? That's the kind of thing I want you to do with the rest of your life. And uh, you need to stop doing what you're doing now and start going full steam ahead that direction. And to be honest, from that day on, that's exactly what I did. I, 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 no one, like I said, hit me over the head. It just hit. Lord said, here's your direction. Go that way, and I'll stop you if I need to stop you. But otherwise, just keep going forward. And from that moment, I found a college in the area, um, a Bible institute that was specifically for men who were professionals but couldn't necessarily go off to, uh, to, to college. And uh, did th four years of school and three and a half. Uh, my wife was there in that church serving as a Spanish teacher in the Christian school. We met there, and uh, that's another story that we'll get into later on. But uh, patiently, during Bible college, uh, I waited for her parents' approval. And there are some amazing stories in that that probably worth a podcast maybe. But uh, the Lord allowed us through his uh, sovereign hand to uh, get engaged. And uh, the Dominican, so while I'm in, I'm in college, every time we have a missionary in, I'm opening my, my chest and saying, Lord, do you want me to go? And the Lord just put me in connection with a missionary down here who was a new missionary. He said, why don't you come down and visit? Me and my friend Richard uh, came down. I think you've met Richard. I think he's been there to visit you. And uh, 
we went and he showed us the northern coast of the Dominican. It was wide open. And I remember coming home and saying, you know, I can go anywhere. I can go to Bolivia and go to India. There's going to be these needs. But for whatever reason, the Lord showed me the Dominican. And so, Lord, like with this direction with college, I'm going to go this direction until you close the door. And he didn't. He just kept pushing us towards uh, this area, this region, this city. And uh, then for the same reason you chose uh, Baptist International Missions, we did too. Our pastor was on the board and it lines up with who we are. And we've been uh, since 2005 there. And so that's, that's how we came to meet Josh and Julie Mead. I thought it was really neat. We started together in candidate school at the same time. We were both there uh, to get approved, uh, pre-approved for the following year. And then we, I think it might have been either it was one of our last missions conference or the last missions conference. I think for us, it was our last missions conference, which was my home church. Uh, we we got to begin deputation together, the candidate school, and then our mm-hmm. final conference together was uh, before we left for our prospective fields was at my home church and there were a couple other missionaries as well that we had Mm -hmm. begun with in candidate school and they were all there of course i i might have had a little say in trying to get get some (laughs) of you out there i wanted to be able to finish up with some of the guys we connected Uh with but yeah we really enjoyed getting to know you guys and just watching how the lord provided i'm amazed how God will just, he'll place different people in different places. And that's one of the things I try to share when I'm back in the States is that, at least for me, and and let me know what you think about this. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned earlier about maybe some of our experiences growing mm-hmm. up that, that we see God using on the field. But one of the things that I noticed is I think God loves foreign missions and there's a lot of different ways that god can reach a nation he his his concern is for the souls of, of every ethnos every group every nation every people group mm-hmm. and god is the one who's actively placing his workers where he decides and sometimes i look back and say what on earth is a white <laughs> kid who grew up in rural michigan what do i have to offer here in sub-saharan muslim west africa what on earth am i doing here and i'm sure you'll get those experiences as well but i think sometimes i liken it to one day it kind of hit me it's it's kind of like when a culture and a society is all going downstream and they're all They're all heading one direction here. The primary religion is Islam and, uh, but it's very strong, uh, tradition. There's a lot of West African traditions that are mixed in with the Islam. They, they call it kind of a folk Islam. And when an entire culture is going the same direction, thinking the same, nobody's asking relevant questions that have to do with life and death and salvation Mm -hmm. and, and, and your soul. And when an entire culture is moving one direction, God delights to just take take something different. Like some right. we call them, they call them two bobs here, a white guy. Take a white guy <laughs> from Michigan and drop him in the middle of that context. And everybody just kind of stops and says, What what is that doing here? What are you doing here? What's going on? And it stirs the waters and kind of gets people uh, asking questions. And I think that'll be a topic for later discussion about um what is the purpose of a missionary of you know of a foreigner going to another country and uh how do you find meaning and purpose whether you're seeing big results or not 
what is sure. that? We'll talk about that in our time. Sure. But what are some of have you have you experienced that since being in the Dominican Republic? Kind of what on earth am I doing here? And then as well, not just kind of in desperation, like we're not seeing any results, but just kind of <laughs> like what what why am I here? And then what are some ways the Lord showed you? experiences of your past that have been able to plug into how the Lord's used you there in the Dominican? Yeah, definitely. When we came to our city, I don't remember, I think it's probably the same case in some ways where you went. We didn't actually know a single soul here. Uh, When we got here, we didn't know. The first guy I met was a guy at a furniture store and started talking to him about the Lord. I think he ended up coming to our church for a while. And so it was all brand new in that sense. And uh, one of the great things about going home on furlough to America is that no one looks at you any differently than anybody else. And so I, I know that's probably even more the case where you are. Uh, but I think you do get tired of that a little bit. But I think the older you get and the longer on the field, you embrace it more because uh, you realize I, I did after about six, seven years. I realized, OK, so I'm never going to speak Spanish as well as a native. But there is something to be said that people are very interested to come to our church to know American, be friends with an American, than a national. And so what we have that as an advantage, not as a disadvantage. And so we often try to uh, use that as to be very friendly with people because they like having an American friend. It's something Dominicans especially, they very much like Americans. And so um, many times, I can't even count how many times I've probably had that thought you were asking about, which is, (laughs) what am I doing here? What's going on? it's funny how sometimes those times come in in, in sporadic um, segments, though. Like, there are times where we have really wonderful victories. You know, I had this little saying, if you ask my kids, when we drive out a church parking lot on Sunday morning, I'll say something like this. This is how I say it. I say, well, glory, that was a great Sunday. And what it is is we've had enough difficult Sundays, as I'm sure you have, that when we have a good Sunday, we try to really thank the Lord for it because we remember the good times because not all the times are great. Um, and there are oftentimes we had a situation with a teammate, wonderful guy who found out while we were on furlough in the States that his little two-year-old daughter had a brain tumor. And two days later, he had to leave and he could never come back uh, because of the health situation. And so after that happened, we had also had three or four or five other families, for whatever reason, were able to move to America. They were Dominicans, but they moved to America. So we, our church, after we just built this beautiful building and had a wonderful congregation and teammates, it all went down to like, you know, 30, 40 people. And we knew it wasn't anything we did wrong, but you have times like that where you sit down and you say, all right, Lord, you're, you're resetting the counter. What are we doing here? And, um, you know, I praise the Lord for the victories and I praise the Lord for how he's shown himself great, uh, great and, and wonderful uh, in the difficult times. And there are more of those we can talk about when they come up. But just in general, I think realizing that the Lord has put me in this place to, to mold me and to conform me into the image of his son. And that literally the results are up to him if we are faithful to do what we're supposed to do. That's another topic for another day, being faithful being a hard worker, uh, using your time wisely, not being lazy. Uh, I'm, I'm as, la- uh, as lazy as anybody wants to be, right? And so I have to work hard like any missionary to be, you know, using, organizing my time well, being faithful, but realizing the results are up to the Lord. And I think the longer I'm on the mission field, the more I, it's, I, I call it, with my wife, I call it the ping pong match. Someone hits a ball, the ping pong ball to you, you want to hit it back to their side. And so 
For me, I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And the ball's on somebody else's side of the thing. That's up to them. That's up to the Lord. But, you know, I'm going to do what the Scripture says. I'm going to follow the Lord. And, um, but using a, a guy from West Virginia who barely could speak very good English uh, to learn another language and uh, train other people is something that I think every time we come home and talk to our old friends, are like, wow. You can speak another language? You had trouble enough with the first one. So that's just a picture of God's grace and goodness. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Now, one of the things, I I sensed God's call at a young age. And most people I talk to, a lot of missionaries I speak with, they most on average from most that I've spoken with sense that call to foreign missions at a young age. You receive that call and surrender, surrender to that call a little bit later. I mean, you weren't old, but it was later in life. How do you think that, do you see maybe God holding off on bringing you to that moment of surrender and leading you? Because God leads us exactly when we need to be led and we he brings us to that moment for reasons. And so do you see any of your experiences having not like I always knew I was going to be a missionary and I'll be honest with you as a teenager that kept me out of a lot of trouble that I could have gotten into uh, because I always knew I always knew there was a line I couldn't cross because in my mind there's this red line and if I cross that I may not be able to be a missionary Mm -hmm. and so uh, that helped me a lot as a, a teenager but what what are some ways you see that working a secular job do you do you see that helping you um, having surrendered later, did that help you in the deputation process? Did that help you maybe uh, organizational structure, you know, for, for being a missionary, working on your own? Because you mentioned you didn't know anybody when you went. And I found that to be one of the most challenging aspects of missions, especially when you're by yourself, is self-discipline, mm-hmm. okay, being self-disciplined, mm-hmm. keeping yourself right. accountable when you're the only one there. And then you know, just structuring a schedule when you're on your own. Um, what are some of the principles that you learned being in the secular business world uh, working and then implementing that into your deputation and ministry? Well, I think uh, it's very interesting as I look back. I think even the more I get older, I look back and see how the Lord used things in my life as a young man, even maybe even as young as a young teenager, uh, I love sports a lot. And one of the things I would do, I was just, I, I didn't think of myself as an extrovert, but I was the guy who got everybody together to play sports in our neighborhood. I, I had the bag of balls and bats and gloves and I would call everybody up and I organized everybody. And it's just what I did because I wanted to play. And years later, I realized, well, that's kind of, that was like getting ready to be, you know, evangelist, go out and starting a church service. And it just was something the Lord put in my heart. But as I got older, I worked as an intern for a, a gentleman who made documentaries, and I really loved film and really production, not so much being a director, but being a producer, and how it logistically putting people in their places. And, you know, I always talk to guys now, half of our job as missionaries here is just logistics. It's moving people around and doing things. And then working in computers, uh, I spent a lot of time on the phone with customers and telephone companies and how to to deal with people in a, in a loving and kind way to make sure you got what you wanted. And so I didn't realize at the time God was using all those interactions uh, to prepare me to be a missionary. 
uh, I wasn't a mechanic, so I, I don't know how to do much with cars. I probably, if I was a mechanic, I could do better at that. But thankfully, we have a lot of mechanics here. Uh, some guys think missionaries are like MacGyver. That's not me. It's, uh, it's a lot more of the communication aspect. But um, I think as, as I enter the secular world, it is interesting. I think the reason it was easy for me to turn away from the secular world, because at a young age, I had a pretty good job, really good job, and had a, a bright future in that sense. But be honest... As I started down that line, I knew I could do it, but I really didn't have the passion for it. Oh, one of the other things I did as a young man that I wanted to do with all my life was I wanted to be a baseball and basketball announcer. And so in high school, I would go on the air and the radio and we, we did ball games and I loved doing that. And I just realized that Lord was preparing us to speak, preparing me to speak in front of people. But I didn't have the, enough passion to stick through that and those things, I, I knew those weren't the passions of my life. I hadn't found it yet. And when the Lord allowed me to serve, especially overseas, I mean, it didn't take two minutes to say, okay, here it is. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so I felt like maybe all those things, I enjoyed them, but I knew that's not where my passion was. And as soon as I found my passion that the Lord put in my heart, I just realized later on he was just using those other things to prepare me for that passion. So that's, that's kind of, I was only 23. I look back now, I wasn't that, I thought I was old, but I really wasn't that old. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. For me, I, I grew up, you know, just regular home, suburban Michigan, rural area and, uh, no big major experiences, you know, that you think of, like when you look at your life, just kind of overview it's like what what's the correlation here between my experiences and then living in a place like Senegal except that there was always at a young age that seed of wanting to come to Africa wanting to be a missionary I assumed I'd be I'd be a jungle pilot somewhere and so I started taking pilot's lessons when I was about uh, 15 mm. years old. Wow. I would uh, go and take about a, it was about 100 bucks for an hour lesson. And so I did that for, I got 10 hours in and then I ran out of money. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I thought, well, I just, I read Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the stories yeah. of them flying yeah. in. I thought, well, I'll be a jungle pilot somewhere in Africa. And later when God did lead us to Senegal, it was a lot, it's definitely not the jungle. We're, we're more in another right. country. In fact, one of my favorite movies growing up was Lawrence of Arabia. And then mm -hmm. later I come to Senegal and God leads us to <laughs> Senegal. And it's like a lot. Oh I watched that movie over and over. And uh, it's about a guy that goes and uh, works among Arabs in a desert area yep. and uh, really yep. embraces, embraces their culture and things like that. And so um, a lot of things, though, that... As time went on, you could see how God took some of your experiences and then you plug them in to that. Lee were saying, you know, you would always be the one to kind of gather guys around and do basketball or do play sports. And and uh, for me growing up, I started making videos and movies at a young age. Mm -hmm. I oh, had I yes, always I've had a, some of those. too. <laughs> yeah, I had a fascination at the age probably five or six, I had a fascination with video cameras. Whenever my mom would pull out the old school shoulder <laughs> video cameras for Christmas, you could always hear me in the background trying to reach up and grab it saying, let me use it, let me use it. And so I had this fascination with wanting to film and I love storytelling. And so uh, when I was about 
12 or 13, a friend of mine, his older brother made movies and he asked me to be in a movie. And so I caught the bug and just started making films. And (laughs) almost every weekend I'd either get grab guys from school, grab guys from church, and we'd get together and we'd we'd put together these crazy videos. Half of them are lost, which I'm glad. I, I'm just glad there was no YouTube when I was a teenager because I don't I actually don't know if I'd be on the mission field with all those videos we made. Oh my goodness. But uh anyways we did all kinds of that. Well then later uh you know during during deputation I did a lot of and even in Bible college I did some videos for missionaries, a couple pastors and uh, would put together deputation right. videos. We did our own deputation video. And it's funny because when I got to the mission field, I assumed kind of in the back of my mind that because I enjoyed video storytelling and all of that so much, that that might not be something that I, I should pursue right away. I thought I, I like it too much. And this is something I try to <laughs> tell young people uh, interested in going into the ministry is whatever you enjoy doing at your age right now, if there's something, a skill that you enjoy, develop that, pursue it and use that, surrender that to the Lord, refine that skill, Uh, whether it's graphic design or videography or photography or whatever that skill might be, refine that skill because God has a he takes our desires and he will use that on the mission field. And I just assumed because I enjoyed it so much, I probably shouldn't <laughs> do it yet. And so it was a few years into our ministry here and things were starting to take off. Um, Malik Job, and that's another story for another time about us getting our church plant plant launched, some major answers to prayer. Uh, one of those answers to prayer was seeing a national um pastor. He wasn't a pastor yet. He had been working uh, as an evangelist in another town and uh, doing gospel work. And he moved back, had grown up in our city, was baptized, saved and baptized. And we'll tell their story another time, but was saved and baptized in the Baptist church here uh, that we now continue. But um, so we were getting ready to start this work in another part of town and um, really a brand new church plant. And so I prayed that God would send a national to partner with us in the uh, beginning of this ministry. And so we were about a year into it. God answered that prayer. And I'll share more about that later, another podcast. But as we began to work together and just see where our hearts were, he really had a passion and a desire not only to see Muslims come to Christ in his country, but also to help Senegalese who have become believers to maintain their identity as whatever ethnic group they're a part of, whether it's the Wolof people group or the Pular people group. His heart was that uh, young people who got saved, especially young people, that they would maintain their Senegalese identity while being distinctively Christian. And he's thought those issues through and a lot of his teaching and and he'll take use scriptures to really just share how our identity in Christ doesn't mean we have to change our name, doesn't mean we have to change who we are, uh, everything. Christ transforms us from the inside, doesn't mean we have to dress like an American because we're Christian now. And so he he had such a heart to see other people reach people and we, we decided that we were going to start doing teaching that we would promote online because one thing we noticed was that there are a lot of believers scattered throughout Senegal and that just believers who need encouragement and so 
he wanted to start, he oversaw yearly, they did a youth camp. And so he would oversee that youth camp. And a lot of these youth were just scattered throughout all of Senegal with either no church or no Bible study near them. And so what we began doing was posting videos online of teaching that uh, Malik would do. And then we began developing it from there. We, I, I enjoyed storytelling through filmmaking. And so we started taking, we would take a parable of Jesus and we would think through what if Jesus were retelling that parable today in the Wolof culture? How would he retell that? And so we took the truth, the essential truth that Jesus was teaching in the parable. And then we would kind of transcribe it to today and try to put the story to today. And so the first video we made was um, was about the uh, Good Samaritan. And so we took we took kind of those characters, but made them relevant to the culture here and told that same story. And so I remember we posted that. And within the first few months, we had almost 100,000 views. And that's just here in Senegal. And so well, I just want to put a little a little bow tie on the end of what you were saying there, Josh, which I thought was really amazing. You, you'd said um, when you came to the mission field, you thought something you liked weren't going to be able to use, you know, and it's so funny, because I kind of a little bit had that same mentality where uh, when I got here, I didn't think about this. But you know, I grew up, I didn't really like soccer. I actually loved baseball. And so when the Lord called me to a Spanish-speaking country, I thought I was going to have to learn to love soccer. Well, he called me the Dominican Republic, which is basically the home of baseball. And uh, within the first few months, there was a gentleman who approached me, and he said, you know, you have a professional team, winter league team in your town, and we're looking for chaplains. Would you be interested in being a chaplain for the team? Where You basically you go in the dugouts, you go... Uh, in, in the clubhouses, you go with all the umpires, all the announcers, all the players, you meet them, and you give them the gospel. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that. And uh, one of the joys of ministry on the side of the regular day ministry we've had in the last 12 years is getting to know many baseball players and tell them, tell them about the Lord and have them into our homes and go visit them in their ball teams in America when we go home. And it's interesting how I wanted, with my desire when I was a youth, to be a ball, uh, baseball announcer, how God said, no, no, I got something way better than that. You just got to trust me for all this time first. And I think that's the kind of thing, it's a little silly story in some ways, but that's the kind of thing when I go back and I get a chance to talk to young people, I try to say, you know, I don't think I understood this, that being in the center of the Lord's will, he's going to take who you are and he's going to make it better than you can imagine. Uh, as far as your wife is concerned, give me the right kind of wife, peace, joy, contentment, satisfaction, but even your, your, your likes and dislikes. And so uh, that's, that is a great to hear from your perspective because that's how I feel as well. It's absolutely true. And that's, that's the thing about surrender to the will of God is you're surrendering yourself. You're surrendering your life, your person, who you are. And when you surrender yourself to the Lord, you're not surrendering these other things. It's not like you have to give up all these other things and dreams and desires you had, but God's going to redirect those. And then he's going to cultivate that beyond what you could even imagine. I mean, just seeing what the Lord is, is doing with the social media and our video production and, and how that's going to be really a, a key aspect of us uh, in our next church planting campaign and expanding to other parts of the country and how God is allowing us to use social media and our videos to make connections with 
people throughout the country that are either believers or they're seekers and um, and start to put together a church planning team uh, and then having all these resources. And so, yeah, take take your desires and just get, give them all to the Lord. And when you surrender yourself to the Lord, he's going to take your gifts, your desires, your dreams, and, and he'll cultivate that and use you beyond anything you could ever imagine or dream. And so, yeah, that's definitely an important message. I think that young people especially need to hear is pursue what you love and, and expect God to use what you love. Um, and you'll see, you'll enjoy ministry that way. I know my son probably thinks we should be in the Dominican Republic because that the only sport he loves is baseball. And he's actually not, he's naturally <laughs> gifted a uh, baseball player. He, he's not a big Aww. soccer player, which is all we play here. And, uh, not, he's Aww. tall, he's tall, but he's not a big basketball player. And, um, I, di I didn't know what, I didn't know what sport he would enjoy because <laughs> he didn't seem to enjoy any other sports. And then uh, we got back to the States. And I put a baseball bat in his hand and he just started whipping them. I mean, this, this kid can hit. Well, I think that the last, the last thing there was what you were saying about how that love for media is now reaching other people for the Lord. I kind of explained getting to meet these ball players, but really what that also did was open doors for us to go to ball fields and preach the gospel. And we've had during the pandemic an amazing amount of ball players saved who've come now been faithful young men. And so I think that's the key is telling young people, look, God can use your passion to see other people saved. Now, I can also think of the kid sitting on his couch playing video games thinking, man, I'm going to be a video game. I might be a little more, you know, thinking a little more along the lines of uh, connecting with others. But you know, you know what I'm saying. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't mind telling my kids which things they enjoy doing are worthless. And so I don't, I tell them, I, I don't mind you. We, we have, we let them play video games and connect with their cousins yeah, over sure. in the States. But I tell them this is sure. just because you can connect with your friends over there. Like you, exactly. you're not going to get anywhere with this, but there's other areas for sure. Yeah. That God is going to use. And that's the thing, like with the social media and even with the pandemic, we started using my our media and video production about a year before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And once the pandemic hit, that was mm -hmm. our main form of communication. And since since we began two years doing our video production and sharing things online, we have almost 100,000 subscribers. This is just in Senegal, 100,000 subscribers with about over 6 million video views of all of our different videos across all our different platforms. And so, um, and it's just beginning. We're just getting started. Uh, we're, we're inviting other church leaders to come in and do forums. Um, with discussion panels. Um, we, we're not big on debate. We, we're big on doing open forums sure. where we allow people to ask questions. And so rather than doing a debate, we do question. People can ask questions and we love responding. So just it's limitless, the opportunities. And we're, we're excited to see now with this stage we're at in our ministry, how God is going to expand the outreach of this local church here in Northern Senegal through these different um, pursuits that I've enjoyed and loved doing since I was a kid. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I love how God can take something we're passionate about and something we enjoy and then use it for his glory and his honor. And so that it's just exciting being a missionary for sure. So as we conclude today in our first uh, session here, uh, we'll finish up where we started in 2005, where we first met. And I'll just tell you, my first impression of Josh and Julie were people who 
Um, we're very excited to go to the mission field. Josh especially had kind of this zeal that was uh, very uh, contagious, uh, partly for some of his stories, and uh, just had a great sense of humor. Uh, to this day, my wife and I will repeat some of the jokes that Josh, or stories Josh told. Uh, maybe we'll get him to tell one of the ones later on about a gentleman, and I think it was the Philippines, and uh, I won't get into it, but there's a word where he said, that is sin. And to this day, my wife and I will still go around and say, that is sin. That is confusion. And so I just remember laughing around Josh a lot and uh, glad to know him and glad to reconnect with him. And I look forward to uh, just this start of a new journey, if you will. Yeah, definitely. I We really connected with you. We got to we got to enjoy some missions conferences together. I think we both followed Don Sis, uh, itinerary. And so we were together quite a bit in different conferences. And uh, there's, there's a few people you just really make a connection with. We had some great experiences. We loved hearing your story, even just watching. For, for us, watching you guys, you were just engaged. You're about to get married. This wasn't a story of how God put you together. We were there seeing it happen, you know, in real time and seeing how God put you two together and uh, how you finally, you know, I don't know what you did to get to get your wife to marry you, but she finally <laughs> relented and it, it happened. And, Praise uh, God. Yeah, just amazing. to. Yeah, and I just, so we, I, I'm glad that we have this medium to be able to kind of reconnect. It's been, really, it's been what? 12 years almost since we've seen you guys in, in person. And, uh, and so it's neat that we have this medium to connect and kind of see what the Lord's done. We've kept in touch through the years, but this will allow us to just reconnect, uh, talk about different issues that, that we've learned being missionaries, you know, in our perspective fields and just hopefully it, uh, my prayers, that'll be a blessing to other missionaries and, and supporters and those who are just interested in what God's doing in different parts of the world in general. And I look forward to seeing how God will use this podcast. If anything, I'm just excited about reconnecting with you and, and uh, chatting with you. I think the most enjoyable part too, is if having spent about 12 plus years on the mission field, both of us, I think we realized how little we have yet attained and understand yet. We know there's guys behind us who are just starting their journey. And I feel like you're kind of like the guide up on the way up on a mountain. It's like, Hey, Watch out for that. Watch out for that. But here's here's the mate. Here's the goal. That's Spanish. Here's where we're going. And, uh, you know, if we can be help the people to help avoid things or help go in the right direction while we set our sights on the Lord and maybe other uh, more veteran missionaries we can have on to get some of the answers we need, I think that will be uh, just an encouragement to everyone. So I'm looking forward to it. Amen. Well, we'll close out here and uh, we want to thank you for taking the time to listening to this podcast and uh, go ahead and share it. Uh, subscribe on whatever uh, medium you use to listen, whether it's iTunes or podcast or uh, Apple, Spotify. Go ahead and leave us a five star review that will help us in our ratings and uh, get the word out there. Share it on social media and contact us anytime. If you have any questions or a topic that you would like to hear discussed, we're always looking for topics in the future and uh, we just want to thank you for joining us in this discussion about missions and uh, life on the mission field. I'm Josh Mead from Senegal, West Africa. And I'm Eric Johnson from the Dominican Republic. And may God bless you and have a great day.